Good morning. My name is Dan Hardy. I've been so excited about getting into Genesis and just really just the whole Old Testament, really, and just understanding just what the Lord is, is concealed in the Old Testament is, is being revealed in the New Testament. And as I was uh, prepared for the message this week, you know, a lot of it just really seemed pretty academic, honestly, just with a lot of turmoil going on around in my life, not sin in my life, praise God, but just being exposed to the ugliness, the depravity of man, how we are all on this earth in our sin nature and our flesh, and how the enemy has a way of distorting what God made for good. Even as I came here this morning, I'm just begging the Lord just to, just to give me joy. And I've got joy. I'm just so thankful that God is, that He has a hold of us. He's got His hand on this church, that He is ahead of this church. And that He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. As we were singing this song, this I think it's called Everlasting, it's out of Isaiah 40. It just ministered to my heart this morning. And I want to just read the verse to you in Isaiah 40. It says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Are you here this morning? Are you weary? Have you lacked hope in your circumstances, whether it be finances, whether it be maybe children that are wayward, maybe it be sin in your own life? We've got an everlasting God who gives strength to the weary. And that His strength is truly perfected in our weakness. As the worship team leads us in this song again, just belt it out as you feel led. If you need to be ministered to by the words, by the music, feel free to stay seated and and just reflect upon the words. God, we praise you. You are the everlasting God. We praise you and worship you that you don't grow weary, that you are the defender of the weak. And God, we just thank you that all the stuff that's out there that the enemy is wanting to pervert, that you have created good. God, I just pray that you would redeem the years in people's lives that the locusts have eaten away. God, I pray for those this morning that are weary, that need your strength. God, please meet them here this morning. We thank you that you are firmly on your throne, that there's nothing that happens in our lives, in this world, on this planet that catches you by surprise. You are the sovereign You are the most holy, and you are worthy of our praise. And God's people said, Amen. Two weeks ago, we looked at the the whole book of the Bible, or the whole Bible, from 40,000 feet. Then we dropped down to 20,000 feet and looked at Genesis last week. And then today, we're supposed to hit the ground running. We're supposed to walk, start walking through Genesis. And we're going to get through two verses today, God willing. It's going to be Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. And uh, really, it's just going to be more foundation. As, as I looked at the passage and, and looked at just really what, what I want to know and what I want the Lord to teach me so that I can be able to pass it on to you, is there's just, there's just more fun, uh, foundational stuff. But let's just do a quick overview of the book of Genesis and what we learned last week. We looked at the first 11 chapters last week, and the theme of the first 11 chapters is God displays His character through the world He created. God displays His character through the world that He created. 
And he details the beginnings of a lot of different things in these first 11 chapters. He details the beginnings of the universe, of man, the Sabbath, marriage, sin, sacrifice, and salvation. He did not create sin, by the way. But the beginning of sin happened in these first 11 chapters. Family, civilization, government, and the nations. And also in the first 11 chapters, he described four great events. Those four great events are creation, the fall of man, the flood, and the judgment of the Tower of Babel. And the main players in these first 11 chapters are God, Adam, and Noah. And as we looked at the, the second half of Genesis, really, are chapters 12 through 50. And God displays his character through a special people. That's the theme of that last part of Genesis. God displays his character through special people. And there's four great people that are described in chapters 12 through 50. It's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And as we take a look uh, today at the first two verses, what we're going to see is that God is a big God. God is the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you know what? I'm not a real scientific guy. In fact, I'm kind of a low IQ guy. And for me, it's, it's all about application. I just want to know what the Lord wants from me. And there's some of you that are geared in a more academic way. And along the way, just because of my wire, and I, I, I'm hoping that I don't offend you in any way. Because my desire as we go through Genesis is not to have debates of creation versus evolution. Not to have debates of the short day versus the long day. But how does Genesis point us to our Savior? How does Genesis make us want to love and live for Jesus 24-7? And I would encourage you that if you do have a relationship with Jesus and you want to know more about scientific stuff, there's plenty of great resources out there. And if that kind of scratches your itch, go for it. But we're not going to be going through it on Sunday morning. Don't throw anything. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This passage refers to the dateless past when God brought the universe into existence out of nothing. Today we're going to look at four areas. One, we're going to take a look at the significance and purposefulness of the author of of Genesis, Moses, in describing God as Elohim. It's describing God as Elohim. We'll take a look at God's self-existence, that He is the eternal God. He's always been here. And we'll examine the Trinity, or the triune God. And last, we'll take a look at at His creation, the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. God, I thank You for the opportunity to open Your Word. God, I just stand before you, Lord, and say that I'm a, I'm a learner. And God, I just want to know you in a deeper and more intimate way. God, I want to just be able to serve you and to walk closely with you. God, I thank you for the body of Christ, as Dean said, that when one hurts, that we all hurt. And God, there's people that I'm hurting for this morning. And when one rejoices, we all rejoice. And no matter what the circumstances are in our life, That you are unchangeable. That you are sovereign. That you've got a plan. So Lord, I just pray this morning as I've got lots of words on these papers. Lord, that you would just completely edit anything that is not edifying to this body. This does not cause us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And our neighbors, ourself. Edit anything that doesn't do that, Lord. And may you be glorified and honored this morning. Lord, would you correct the postures of our heart, Lord, that be pointed towards you. That nobody here would would take anything away that I say. But Lord, the Holy Spirit, that you would be the teacher here today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
There is a, uh, a video, I think this one actually belongs to the Dawsons, and, uh, Indescribable by Louis Giglio. How many of you have seen this? A few of you? It is phenomenal, and it, it just, it's, it scratches both itches. For those of you that just want to just love Jesus more because of, of the great creation, and for those of you that want to know more about the cosmos and the number of stars and the planets and how it's, how it's created, and a lot of it's through the Hubble telescope, it is a phenomenal DVD. So let's take a look. If you'd open your Bibles up to uh, Genesis chapter 1, that's right after the table of contents. And a dear brother of mine reminded me when I walked in this morning that God is a baseball fan. Read this with me. In the beginning, maybe not. It is spring training, isn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The first thing we're going to look at today is in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The Hebrew word for God here is Elohim, which is majesty and power. Can't think of a better word for God in creation than majesty and power. You know, it probably doesn't matter too much to you that Natalie means Christ's birthday, or that Mitchell means who is God like, or Joseph, he will enlarge. That's my middle name, by the way. That's working. I'm getting larger by the day. <laughs> Even though names are important to us in our culture, ask any new parent, ask the Hotras, ask the Robinsons. I mean, coming up with names sometimes is grueling. Names are important to us, but we don't often attach special meaning to them. In the Old Testament world, we're, per- we're preparing to visit in Genesis. The meaning of names is quite significant. Names mean a lot in the Old Testament. And no names are more important than the names that are given to God. The first chapter of Genesis tells a creation story. It was written for the Israelites long ago. And I've thought through this a number of times, if, uh, if I even understand this, if I, can underst- if I can explain it properly. But I'll give it my best shot. And so Moses is the author of Genesis. And Moses was born some 2,000 years after creation. We don't know exactly how many years. And, and Mo- what Moses did, what Moses claimed to fame was, of course, is leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Leading them to the promised land talking to them about their Redeemer. So in Moses' day, they knew the name God. They knew Him as Yahweh, which is Redeemer. And these Israelites were hearing about different gods from the people in Egypt, and they were hearing about different gods from the people in Canaan in the land, the promised land they were going into. So Moses very purposefully used a different name for God here. The Israelites knew God as their Redeemer, as Yahweh. He wanted them, it's very important that they knew God also as Elohim. 32 times in the first chapter of Genesis, God is called Elohim. In Genesis 2-4, one of the other guys are going to be teaching in that, but you're going to see it in Genesis 2-4. That's the first time that we see Yahweh, God the Redeemer. Actually, it says Lord God, which is Elohim Yahweh, the majestic, all-powerful Redeemer. 
There's two key passages in the Old Testament. I'm sure there's more, but there's two that I found that shed light on the mysterious name Yahweh. Or Jehovah is used in some of the older Bibles. It's Exodus 3 and Exodus 6, verses 1 through 12. The texts show how God reveals himself to Moses as Yahweh when he called Moses to lead the people out of Israel. Now get this. Uh, in fact, turn, open your Bibles. Keep your finger in Genesis there and go to Exodus 6, 1 through 12. This blows me away. But the Lord said to Moses, look at the different ways that, that God's name is used here. But the Lord said to Moses, but Yahweh said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Lord. God, Elohim, spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Lord, Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. The men and women of the historical books knew God as the God Almighty, as Elohim. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from the slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, and I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into a land that I swore to give Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. As we're going to see in a few weeks when the names Lord God, Yahweh Elohim are joined together in chapter 2 verse 4. It makes a powerful point that God who rescues Israel from slavery is the same God who has made all things. The creator of heaven and earth is Elohim. The Israelites first come to know God through Moses as their redeemer. He is the eternal one. He is the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. And if somebody knows where the scripture is, you can, you can blurt it out sometime during the service. It won't bother me at all because I don't know where it's at. It says that God is the most high and he is also the most nigh. God Elohim is the most high God. He's the creator. He is all-powerful. He is majestic. Yahweh is the God most nigh. He is our redeemer. He is close. Let's take a look at the everlasting or eternal God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Revelation twenty-two thirteen says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. There's a lot of these concepts that boggle my mind. It, it, it kind of gives me a headache. If you want something to boggle your mind, meditate on the concept of the eternal. That which has neither beginning nor end. As creatures of time, you and I can easily focus on the transient things around us but it's difficult, if not impossible, to conceive the eternal. Contemplating the nature and character of the triune God 
who always was, always is, always will be, and who never changes, is a task that overwhelms me. Psalm 92 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Deuteronomy 33:27. The eternal God, the eternal God, is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Last week, I showed a quote from Tozier. I'm going to share it again. It says, let faith support us where reason fails. Let faith support us where reason fails. And we shall think because we believe, not in order that we might believe. Living for, trusting in, believing in Jesus is not an academic exercise. We are never going to win people to Christ by arguing things that may not be clear in God's word. Things that win people to Christ are talking about the creator of the universe that made God perfectly in his image. And then man messed it up. Man messed it up. And God from the beginning had a plan to redeem man to himself, to reconcile. You know, it's interesting to me that there's just we're just curious. This person that I've been shepherding this week, there's sin going on. And this person just so desperately wants to know why, what's going on, why is this happening? And you know, this morning when I was on my knees preparing for this time this morning, I was, I was mad at this person that ruined this other person's life. And I was just crying out to God. I said, why did this have to happen? But God is an eternal and everlasting God. And it's not for me to ask questions. It's not for us to ask questions. God is going to do what He's going to do. It's important for us to know His character, that He is loving, He is trustworthy, and He is faithful. He is merciful. And He doesn't desire to cause harm or, or difficulties in our lives. He doesn't desire to do that. You know what he desires? He desires for us to look more like Jesus. And he's going to do whatever it takes to refine us and to shape us and to sanctify us so that we can let go of things that we're hanging on to. Moses said it best in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do the words of this law. There's some things that just boggle our mind. Is God eternal and everlasting? Absolutely. He has no beginning. He has no end. He was before creation. Do I understand it? No. Do I believe it? Absolutely. The Trinity or the triune God is another one of those concepts that just blows your mind. The creator of the universe exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that one God manifests himself in three different forms or that there are three gods. It means that that, that one God exists in three persons who are equal in their attributes and yet individual and distinct in their offices and their ministries. It's one God. I want to read something to you out of this book called God. 
coming face to face with His Majesty by John MacArthur. It says, Here we face the most dizzying and unfathomable truth of all, the truth of the Trinity. What should we make of it? In itself, the divine triunity is a mystery, a transcendent fact which passes our understanding. How the one eternal God is eternally both singular and plural, how Father, Son, and Spirit are personally distinct yet essentially one, is more than we can know. In any attempt to explain it, to dispel the mystery by reasoning, as distinct from confessing it from Scripture, is bound to falsify it. Let me read that last part again. How the one eternal God is eternally both singular and plural, how Father, Son, and Spirit are personally distinct, yet essentially one, is more than we can know. And any attempt to explain it, to dispel the mystery by reasoning, as distinct from confessing it from Scripture, is bound to falsify it. Here, as elsewhere, our God is too big for His creatures' little minds. Little minds. The doctrine of the Trinity wasn't clearly revealed in the Old Testament. There's nowhere that I can find that clearly talks about the Trinity in the Old Testament. The Old Testament does give glimpses, however, and gives us hints of the wonderful truth of the Trinity, a truth that would later be clearly revealed in the New Testament. We see in here in verse 2, chapter 1, that the Spirit of God, God the Spirit was involved in creation. So we know that both God the Father and God the Spirit were involved in creation. As we're going to see next week, maybe the week after, as we get to verse 26, the Scripture says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And there's some that say that it's referring to maybe the angels there. But in my study, it seems to clearly point to the triune God. That God made us in the image of the triune God. The Old Testament lays a groundwork for the fuller declaration of the divine triunity that is found in the New Testament. What about Jesus? Where's Jesus at? We see the Holy Spirit. We see, we see God the Father in Genesis. But where was the Son in creation? We've got to go to the New Testament. Hebrews 1, verses 2 through 3 says... In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He, the Son, created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. John 1 1 through 3 also says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word is the Son of God. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God. God the Son was there in the beginning with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and had a hand in creation. All things were made through Him, the Son, and without Him was not anything made that was, that was made. In the Old Testament, God gives us hints of the triune God But in the New Testament, he clearly spells it out. Three places in the New Testament, I think there's more, that clearly talk about the Trinity. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. How many times have we have we talked through this, have we looked at this verse? It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. 
the triune God. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. We cannot comprehend this triune God, but we do know that He is the Father who loves us. He's a Son who died for us, and He's a Spirit who brings us comfort, discernment, and understanding. All three were necessary and participated in creation. All three are necessary in salvation and are necessary in empowering us in our walk in sanctification. The last thing we're going to look at is creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We could say that Genesis 1-1 gives a general and inclusive account of creation. God created the heavens and the earth. We're going to see in the next week, maybe the week after, in the first six days, that God gives detailed explanation of what He created and how He created it. Today, He's simply declaring that God created the heavens and the earth. And then we'll look forward in the next, next couple of weeks. This covers everything. You can't make a broader statement. God created the heavens and the earth. That's a way of saying God created everything in the universe. Everything that exists, whether you're talking about galaxies, whether you're talking about nebulae or solar systems, whether you're talking about those things that are the farthest reaches of the universe in space. Whether you're talking about the smallest grain of sand, whether you're talking about dust, God created it. He's a creator of all things, visible and invisible. And all things, I mean everything from angels, from forms of life like whales. Like little babies. I had the opportunity to hold a Robinson baby yesterday. How can anybody hold a 6-pound, 11-ounce, 20-and-a-half-inch Chloe Louise Robinson and say that it's, it evolved? Are you kidding me? When you look at the, the little fingers and the little... I mean, this ba- I walked in and this baby was screaming from the top of her lungs. I mean, just screaming, wanting to eat. That's evolution. God has created everything. Every form of energy, every form of matter, the speed of light, nuclear structure, electromagnetism, gravity, every law by which nature operates was created within the framework of His creation. All things were created. All things were created. Behind the creation of everything in the universe stands a living God who had eternally existed as God but he didn't eternally exist as the creator. He became the creator at some point when he decided to create. But he wasn't always creating. I don't know what he was doing. But he's eternal. I don't understand it. Now when it says in verse 1, in the beginning God created, it uses the Hebrew word, I think it's pronounced bara, B-A-R-A. The Hebrew word bara is used in Scripture only with reference to the divine work of God. Creation is not used in any other form. Bara means the divine work of God. It has a uniqueness about it here, and that uniqueness is its absoluteness. It means basically that the infinite, eternal, self-existent, personal, triune God of the universe brought things into existence which were not in existence prior to this movement. And the movement, as we're going to see next week, is is God's spoken word. 
That's what created. God spoke it into existence. He created in what a Latin word of called, I think it's pronounced exhilo. He created out of nothing. Exilo. He created everything out of nothing. I want to read just a couple of verses that illustrate that. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Things that were created were not made out of things that were visible. I looked at this video on uh, Sermon Spice. I was looking for videos to show. And and it, it had a picture of a guy, like a cowboy, whittling a log to come up with something beautiful. And he was creating that. But you know, when we create things as humans, we create things out of stuff. God created created the universe out of nothing. Out of nothing at all. The things that we see in the created universe were not made from something else. They were made from nothing. Ex nihilo. Without pre-existing material. It's a way of saying everything around us. Your body, the chair you're sitting in, the building that we are in right now, the state the nation, the continent, the world, all of it, the stars, the moon, everything, everything you can see, everything you can't see, any arrangement of matter came into existence instantaneously out of no pre-existing material. Does that boggle your mind? Say yes. It boggles my mind. How did he do this? What was his method? As we're going to see next week, He simply spoke. He spoke it into existence. And I told you we're not going to argue long day, short day. But I think that if if there's any of you here that are followers of Jesus and you want to have an open Bible debate on the short versus the long, put them up. It makes a pretty clear case in Scripture. Now, there's, there's different science people that can't wrap their minds around it, so they come up with different theories. And I know that, you know, I'm, and I'm sorry, there are, there are lovers of Jesus. I really believe it. There's lovers of Jesus that we're going to worship the eternal God forever with that believe in a long day theory, that believe that, that there was not a literal day. I don't understand it. Matthew 19.4 says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Again and again in Scripture, makes reference to God as creator. Romans 1, 18-20 says that creation is so evident and so obvious that if, if you don't see it, you're without excuse. It actually says that that's the reason for hell. And that people don't spend eternity because they deny that there is a creator. Turn there with me if you would. Romans 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. What it's saying is what can be known about God is plain to mankind. And it answers questions about how can a loving God let people go to hell that have never had missionaries show up there. And it's because God makes himself known 
through creation. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. It's a powerful verse. Colossians, that great first chapter, in the first chapter, verse 16, it says, By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Not only has God created everything out of nothing, everything was created for him, including us as we're going to see next week or the week after. You like these disclaimers I'm putting on what we're going to be teaching the next two weeks? That we were made by him and for him. We exist for no other purpose than to love, live for, and glorify God. Pretty much sums it up. Hebrews 1.10 says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning... You laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. Scripture continually affirms that God is the creator. And he created everything out of nothing. That He created us for his glory. At a particular point in eternity, the eternal God spoke everything into existence. Made up of components which had never existed before. You know, and I had this picture. You know, we've talked about that our lives are just a dot on the line of eternity. Well... Creation, creation is just a dot on the line of eternity. There was eternity before creation. And there's going to be eternity after it all burns up. The plain meaning of Genesis 1-1 is frankly not arguable. It's unmistakable. In the beginning, God created everything. Everything. In St. Augustine's confession, he said this, For you created them from nothing, not from your own substance or from some matter not created by yourself or already in existence, but from matter which you created at one and the same time as the things that you made from it since there was no interval of time before you gave form to the formless matter. Basically, it was just all created out of nothing. You say, well, I can't wrap my mind around the triune God, therefore I'm not going to believe in him. I, I, I can't understand that he's self-existent. How, how does that, how is that? Or that he created the universe and, and everything in it from nothing. First of all, join the crowd. Most of us can't wrap our minds around it. We're not saved by understanding all the things that God knows. We are saved by trusting and believing in a Savior who walked a sinless life, who was tempted in every way we were, and He willingly laid down His life for us because we messed it up. God created it good. He created it perfectly, but man messed it up. And we needed a Savior. And Jesus came down as a pure spotless lamb, walking that sinless life. And willingly laid his life down for you and me. And I just, I beg you, if there's anybody in here today, I I beg you, if there's anybody that has yet to bend their knee, now's the time. Because there is no hope in this world. There's all kinds of joy and hope in relationship with Jesus. Even in the midst of trials. 
But this world has nothing to offer. Run to Him. You know, one of the great causes, believer, for continual worship is not only that God came in the form of Jesus to redeem you and me from the pit of hell, but to worship Elohim, the creator of the universe that spoke everything into existence. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And as the worship team makes their way up here, I'm going to read Isaiah 40 one more time. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen.